Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. This Saturday, we will complete our 35 days of focusing on prayer. They say most adults need at least two to three weeks to form a habit. And uh, we've been hearing some wonderful reports from people who said uh, things like this. Uh, I never prayed in the morning before. I always prayed at the end of the day. And they started praying in the morning, and the testimony was, what a difference in my day it's made, uh, committing the day to the Lord. So we've had that, and then we've had just people, uh, one after another, I, I'm hearing people say, wow, uh, the prayer guide has been so helpful, and those type things. So we're, we're grateful to the Lord. I thank God for the whole team that put our booklet together, the T-shirts, all of that, trying to say uh, we want prayer to be a priority. Uh, it, once you lose prayer, you'll lose the church. There's just no question about it. Uh, you can have all the officers you want, give all the money you want. If God doesn't move a people to pray and intercede, it's over. Because you, 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 it, it shows we're relying on him. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6. In Luke 11, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray? Here in Matthew, it doesn't give us that intro, but we have in the Sermon on the Mount, Christ, first of all, takes on the different ways the disciples were hearing people pray. One was the Pharisaical way. The other was the pagan way. And then he's going to introduce the Christ way of how we ought to talk to God. And so he says, first of all, in verse 5, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. So hypocrites do pray. Okay. Uh, church folks uh, pray, whether they're living for God or not. You, you can learn. There's a lot of phony praying. And God bless America while I tell them some lies. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So it was common for the Pharisees even to be going to synagogue, and on the way, if there's a little bit of a crowd around them on the way to temple or synagogue, uh, if they had a little crowd, they would often go into praying publicly. Uh, there's nothing wrong with public prayer. First uh, Corinthians 14, I had a man tell me one time, uh, you're wrong because you have public prayer. Jesus said, pray in your closet. Or do you pray over your food with your family? Or do you run to the closet and pray and come back? <laughs> now, there's time for public praying. He said in 1 Timothy 2, when you gather together, I want holy men to lift up holy hands and pray for the congregation. 
1 Timothy 2, 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, when you gather together and you pray, I want the women to do a certain way. Uh, I want, and he tells you the order he prescribes for that, but they're doing public praying. Old Testament, we've got all kinds of public praying. You've got Jehoshaphat, you've got Hezekiah praying in front of the whole nation for the nation. So we have public prayer, but he's taking on hypocrites that do it for the wrong reason. Uh, they've lost sight of God, and basically their motive is, I want you to be impressed that I'm a pious man. And so I'm the goal has become to impress you uh, that I'm so holy, so right. And uh, I, I find even in public praying, uh, have you ever had a person get up and pray in public and all they really did was preach to you? Uh, I've, I've seen that. I've done it. And, and it's not the thing, you know, that you go horizontal. You want to kind of tell the saints to do this or do that. But prayer primarily ought to get vertical, that, that your audience is God. And so he says, don't emulate the pharisaical, hypocritical, public piety that you're seeing in Jewish religion. Don't, don't get caught up in that. I don't want you to pray that way. Then he goes on to the way the pagans prayed. And he says, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. We don't even know how to translate the word uh, meaningless. It, it's hard to get a, it's kind of a, uh, if you were trying to say it, it's ba 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 like that. It, it's uh, a B-A-B-B-E. It's, it's kind of a muttering sound. It's a hard uh, word to translate. But the idea is don't use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles, which were pagans, idolaters. So idolaters pray, okay? They, they've got, if you go to Tibet, you see the prayer wheel. You gotta keep that wheel spinning. Why? God's impressed by how much verbiage you give. You gotta count beads. You gotta say so many Hail Marys. Why? More words impress God. Verbosity impresses God. And so, what would they do? Even if you go to the Wailing Wall, you, you, even with uh, Jews, they're rocking back and forth. Now, they're usually uh, reciting the Psalter, so they are at least using Scripture, but gonna, we just got to keep this thing going, keep it going, keep it going. If we break, we may get a lose contact. Keep it going, keep it going, keep on saying, 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 saying. Why? It gets your prayer through. It impresses God. You must be known for much verbosity. Pray, 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 pray. And all the time you're not praying. You're saying meaningless phrases. And you have to watch that. Uh, it's the danger of extroverts. They talk when they ought to be quiet because they get nervous when they're silent. I used to have guys call me, and they would just breathe on the phone. They wanted me to start talking. <laughs> and they wanted me to encourage them. They wanted to, but every once in a while, they'd grunt, so I knew they were on the phone. <laughs> and you extroverts feel enslaved to these kind of people, as though we got to have the mouth engaged all the time. And we do that way in prayer. 
Guess what? God is an extrovert. He has something to say. So much of praying ought to be listening. That's why you need to learn to pray Scripture. You need to learn to pray Scripture. Don't bring your agenda. Bring God's. That's hard on you, isn't it? Well, I've got nine things I want to tell God what to do if he's going to keep me on his payroll. I, I got to boss God and tell him my Christmas list as though God is just waiting to hear your give me, give me list. No, no. He said, let me tell you, there's five areas he's going to teach his disciples. I'm going to teach you how to pray. He doesn't teach them what to pray. He does not say, now, every time you pray, say, uh, quote, like in a Lutheran church or maybe some other liturgical traditions, get up and say, uh, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We just prayed. No, no, you just recite it. You didn't pray. He didn't say, this is what you say. He did not say, this is what you, that's why this prayer never meant anything to me for years. I, I didn't grow up in a liturgical tradition. I grew up uh, with Pentecostals and people that, uh, you were extemporaneous in prayer. And I grew up around a sister that could pray, pray, pray. And uh, in a way, I thought the longer the better, because I was in long prayer meetings. You know, they, it, it really, uh, and they were wonderful, emotional, uh, and, and all like that. And so I never needed a guide because you're just supposed to get on your knees and, and start saying the first thing that comes to your mind. And, and sometimes that's pretty good. Sometimes it's not. Because what we all tend to do is come first to talk about the pressing thing that's on our heart. A bill is due. A child is in need a sickness, and you just want to come and bring the urgent things in your life at that time. But he says, let me give you a pattern, and prayer is about issues. I want you to deal with certain issues in my presence, and these are the basic issues that ought to be a guideline for you, and there's five of them that's just to make it simple. Number one, my person. I want you to deal with me my person, uh, and you are going to come to me as Father. I want you to hallow my name, and we'll try to unpackage that. And then I want you to own my priorities. My priorities may not be yours. I want my kingdom to come. Uh, two, I want my will to be done, not only on the earth, but starting with you. Are you in God's will today? Do you want to be in God's will? Does God's will decide what you do? Could God ever tell you no and you listen? Will it matter? Could you ever pray, not my will, but thine be done? Ever? Well, my person, my priorities, two things. My kingdom reign, my will. Then you can get to you. And when you get to you, there's three areas that you ought to bring to God that he wants to hear. Your needs, provision for your daily or for life's necessities. 
I think it's summarized in bread, daily bread. And I would take it to be those things necessary to the sustaining of life, whatever that takes. Uh, and the big thing, he said, daily bread, because they didn't eat meat in the Near East, very seldom. Uh, the diet of the peasant was grain, wheat. That's what they subsisted on. It'd be like rice uh, in our world, but bread. And then two, I like for you to be always concerned with uh, pardon and forgiveness, that you seek it from me about you, what you've done, and that you'll be just as liberal in forgiving others as you want me to be in forgiving you. I'm amazed at how many Christians hold grudges. I'm amazed at how many Christians are bitter. How many Christians just can't, won't ever let you forget? Do you want God to forget what you've been doing? Very judgmental of others, always. But they want mercy for them. He said, you come and you ask for God to forgive you. And in the Greek language, as you've already forgiven others. How many times would you not even be able to come to prayer because you haven't forgiven someone? An unforgiving spirit cuts off communication. It grieves the spirit, and, and you go through that. And then he said, I want you to pray for divine protection from the traps the devil has laid to destroy you. You need to talk daily. God, I don't know what traps the devil has for me today to destroy my walk with you, uh, for me to sin, for me to do something out of God's will, but I want to talk to you about it. We'll pick up the three personal things next week, but let's focus on the first part, the God side that we ought to be concerned. First of all, approach God as Father. This is radical. This has never been done before. This is brand new. Uh, sacrilegious, probably, they felt. Because the Jews would do this, dear Adonai, we love you, Elohim. They would never say Yahweh. The word we spell Jehovah, it's really like Yahweh, because it only had four consonants when they came to it in the Hebrew. Four consonants, four laterals, we call it. There was no vowels. And so a bunch of scholars came along the Masoretes, about 500 B.C., and they added the vowel pointings. If you ever take Hebrew, they have no vowel pointings. They have no vowels in their language. It was all you heard it. You never saw it spelled out. They just used radicals, no vowels. And so you learned that it was an E and O, a U, just as you heard your parents talk. So when they came to the name of God, they were so afraid of mispronouncing it they would only do the four laterals, uh, let's say a D, H, Y, uh, uh, N, but no vowels. So you didn't know for sure how to say it. And they said, you don't dare pronounce the name of God. Sacrilegious, you might be judged. Then Christ comes along and he says, I want you to approach God on the basis of a relationship to him that I am making possible you will become children of God so that you can call him your father. 
The, and, and God doesn't propagate the universal fatherhood of God, the universal. Uh, uh, he is not the father of everybody living. This is talking about spiritual birth, spiritual relationship. The word father is used different ways. It's used father of angels, father of nations, father in the sense of creation. But this is a spiritual relationship. I want you to approach God, not in formality, but relationally. You come to him as a father. And, and I hear people pray, and sometimes I hear, uh, uh, hello, God, uh, uh, Lord God, uh, God, Lord, 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 Lord God. Gee, wait, why don't you do it like he said? Won't you, won't you do it? You come and you say, hello, Father. Well, you've got to add Lord God. Don't be like the pagans. He heard you say, Father. So Jesus, 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 you know you want, whoa, 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 hush. And don't start praying in gibberish. It's interesting, I can't, grew up with tongue talkers. My mother told me, I never let a Pentecostal preacher pray over my kids in tongues. I want to know what he said. <laughs> That's what she said. Don't, don't be praying over my kid in gibberish. You may have tried to put a demon on him. I want to know what you say. What's wrong with talking to God? You can't even thank God for the answer because you don't know what you ask. What did you pray? Jesus. Well, at least God knows you know his name, one of them. He didn't say this is the way to pray. He said, when you pray, you say, our Father, and where are you? Buddy, buddy, God. No, which art in heaven. Uh, which that is the idea. He's transcendent. He's above it all. I, I, when I was doing this, I came up to an old song we used to sing that none of you know because you weren't saved during when music used to be good. No, no I'm just messing. I'm just messing. But we used to sing a song, lift me up above the shadows, plant my feet on higher ground. Lift me up above the clouds, Lord, where the pure sunshine is found. Lift me above my weakness. Lift me up into thy strength. Lift me up above the shadows till I stand with thee at length. Lift me up above the shadows. Lift me up and let me stand on the mountaintops of glory. Let me dwell in beautiful land. Lift me up. Well, drug culture came along and said, I'm going to blow my mind. I'm going to get high this weekend. You're going to get high. I want to know how low you're going to fall on Monday morning. You are high. No, you are out of your head, bozo. We get high. We get up here. And, and we don't have to sober up. You stay intoxicated on this all your days. We're going to get higher, honey. We're going to get higher. And when you pray, you need to get above it all. You got to, you know, I need some drugs. I got to get above my bills and my woman and my kids. I'm, I got to blow my mind. Woo, you got so little, you should not blow it. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you want to get above the shadows where the pure sun shines. That's in the presence, in the throne room. Father, I'm coming into the throne room. 
where Isaiah saw you high and lifted up, and your train filled the temple. And he said, Woe is unto me, my eyes are seeing the Lord. Have you ever got so caught? They say Spurgeon would get so caught up in public prayer that he often said when he opened his eyes, he wasn't aware of a congregation. He thought he was already in heaven. Have you ever just, see, the first goal of prayer is getting into God. As your father, and you get up, hallowed. Now watch it, there's one. Now you pray this, hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? I don't know, but I prayed it. I know you don't know what it means. Hallowed comes from the word for, how, for holy. It was a verbal form, and it meant to uh, treat God as holy. And the word holy is a hard word to get a hold of. Uh, we use the word separate from sin, and that's okay. But it's more than that. Holy is who God is, and the idea is God is in a category all of his own. There's no rivals in it. He's, he's out here. He's unique. He's different. He's holy in his attributes, in his... Just holy, uh, it's one of the hardest words to get a good grip on. That's who he is. Now, I want to ask you this. When in the world are we able to make God holy? How can something dirty make him clean. A sinner coming in, now make me holy. No, no, you don't make him holy, but you can treat him like he's holy. Hallowed, holy, be your name. The being is I'm here. I want you through me to treat you like you deserve. I want to revere you respect you. I want, I'm here, Father, because my first request is how I treat you, how I represent you. What do folks see about God when they see you besides mercy? It's like the woman went to the photographer, said, do me justice. And he said, woman, you need mercy. So we know we see mercy in you. But how about his greatness? Would anybody catch on that God's gracious, that God's kind, that God's big? He said, hallowed be your name. I want to treat you as set apart, holy, worthy of worship. Uh, and then name. What does name mean? Hallowed be your name. The word name, when used in Scripture of God, it stands for everything he is. It stands for his attributes, and you might get a list of attributes. It stands for God's activities, how he's acted in history and the things he does. Uh, your name is everything you are. I want to reveal. And now let me ask you, can you do this quickly? Would it take at least two minutes? See, if you to get in this frame of mind, this is how you want me to pray? Yeah. When you talk to the Father, and see, too many of you are doing this. You're running in and saying, uh, hey, uh, hey, Dad, could I have the car keys? 
Could I have 20 bucks tonight? Could I see you? Okay. And then you ask the dad, have you talked to your son lately? Oh, yeah. Talk to him every Friday night. What's it about? Car keys, gas money, uh, permission to stay at a friend. You, you mean you just exchange information? Oh, absolutely. There's no adoration involved. There's no friendship involved. There's no love involved. I got the car. I got the money. That's the only reason he shows up. I think that's the only reason some of us show up in prayer. We want a bunch of stuff from God. We don't want to show up to say, would you help me to hallow your name and to treat you like God? I'm not worried about how you're treated in the world. Today, they'll say, God damn, a million times and take your name in vain and try to damn the souls of people. I'm not coming here to use your name in vain. There'll be people all day that will say, good Lord, that don't even know you. It's just a quick little way they've learned to just say, good Lord. They ignore the Ten Commandments. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. You know, you get around enough Christian, you get all this Christian cussing. Good Lord, Jesus, why did that happen? Just wait, sacrilegious, sacrilegious, cut it out. Get words like me, goodness gracious. Now, see, that's clean. <laughs> you know? Get around Ron Hughes. Darn it. Bullcorn. He's got more close cussing terms than you could imagine. <laughs> you know, you learn how to clean it up and get so close. Darn it. Man, I got spanked if I said, darn it, because I know you meant damn it. So sometimes I just say it. I don't clean it up. I just confess the real thing. Lord, I never confess darn. I have to confess damn. Do you hold the name of God, Reverend? And in church, you can get real cheap because we're using his name all the time. It's just kind of our vocal. But do you revere that this is an awesome God, a holy God? And he says, I want my own to come to me with this attitude in prayer. I come to hallow to treat your name as it deserves. Hallowed be your name. There's a controversy that's been in the church oh, last 10 or 15 years. It's called the Lordship Debate. Does Jesus have to be Lord uh, in order to be Savior? And so we debate this, have you made him Lord yet? And this kind of thing. Let me say this. Every one of you received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You don't make him Lord. He is Lord. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue, even Hitler, is going to bow. He is Lord. Now, that doesn't mean you're treating him as Lord. But I didn't receive a half Jesus. He's Lord. He's Lord of the living and the dead, Romans 14. He is Lord. I don't care. You don't make him any less than what he is. But now how you treat him, you may be in sin, rebellion, all like that. No, but the person's still there. You're just not revering him. You're not treating him. You're not hallowing him as the Father says, why don't you hold me as set apart, different, magnificent, great. On your best day, honey, you barely treat him as Lord. 
your best day you're flubbing and failing and weak. We don't make him anything. He is what he is. We just learn to try to give back some of the respect and reverence. And thank God he saved us to do that. Now there's two priorities when you pray that he wants you to pray. And they're this way. My priorities for you is my kingdom is to come and my will, my will is to be done. What is it, my kingdom? Well, Christ has always been the eternal king in the heavens. You've got that in the Psalms. Nobody, he's, he's the king of all creation. Okay. No, 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 no question. We know that. But the, the tricky thing about kingdom, kingdom refers to realm, three R's, realm, reign, and rule. And the design of God the Father is that someday a person called Messiah, his anointed one, would rule for God, not in the heavens, but on the earth. Rule on the earth. God wants someone, every king of the Old Testament blew it. The most famous of them, David, blew it. And he'll be a prince in the reign of Christ. It says that in Ezekiel. And so there's going to come a day when rape, child abuse, drugs, adultery, divorce, death, hate, crime, racism, war, pestilence, famine, uh, all of that is going to end because God's king is going to reign from Mount Zion, according to Psalms 2. He's going to reign. And according to Scripture, he's going to subdue all of his enemies, and he uses in Psalms 2 that's quoted in the book of Revelation, he will take his enemies and like a piece of pottery, and it uses he will break them in pieces. He won't come as a meek, lowly Jesus. He will come as the mighty conqueror. I will take it by force. And he will come when all the nations have gathered in the valley of Jezreel, Megiddo, and they'll be gathered there in the millions to kill not only his people Israel, but say, we will not have this God rule over us. Psalms 2, they will laugh at God. You will not rule over us. And all of a sudden, coming out of the heavens, comes one on a stallion with the saints, and they come riding in, friend, and they're going to come in, and he will break his enemies. He will speak according to Zechariah 13. He will come with so much power and flame. He said that the eyes of men will melt in their sockets. They will be burned up, consumed up as though it was an atomic blast. And guess what? He will reign. He will subdue all of his enemies. It one day will be a different world. Crime will not be allowed. Death will no longer run things. The king eternal will sit on a throne, and God will say to Abraham, I kept my promise to you. I said kings would come out of your loins. David, I told you you'd have a king that comes out of your house. I raised up a king. I'm putting him on Mount Zion, and he will reign. Now, you, my disciples, when you pray, 
Don't pray about the Roman Empire. It's going to pass after a thousand years. Don't worry about the United States in prophecy. I'll tell you who's in prophecy is Jesus. Jesus is coming again. He will reign. He will reign. He will reign. Oh, yes, he will reign. The lion will lie down with the lamb. Oh, there'll be no more crooked politicians and lying politics. There'll be one king. He'll be king of all kings and lord of all lords. Oh, and guess what? Listen, you don't believe this, but you better listen good. Colossians 1 said, when he saved you, he translated you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you in the kingdom of his dear son. Now, wait, wait. We're not raining yet. What do you, I thought you said I'd rain with you. I don't see much raining going on. The devil's crowd's doing pretty good. Where's our rain? He said in Hebrews 2.8, he said, right now he's lower than the angels, and he came to die. I'll be your high priest. He said, eventually I'll put my foot on all my enemies and crush them, but right now I'm forming my cabinet. And guess who's on the cabinet? You and I. I've taken you out of the kingdom of darkness. And he said, what does it mean when he says, I've made you heirs and joint? Matter of fact, Phil Howard and, and Bozo one and Bozo three, and, and but you're going to sit on my committee when I judge angels. You'll be there when we sentence demons to the lake of fire. We'll be with the lamb and saying, we agree with the lamb into the lake of fire. We will judge angels, 1 Corinthians 6. What? You can't figure out your checkbook. <laughs> You're going to be judging angels someday. We're going to be ruling over cities. We're going to be reigning. We're going to help him run this thing. And you say, well, I want a nice, nice prison with color TV. Well, you better watch it in the kingdom because he is the judge and he will not employ any lawyers. He calls it and it will be. The wicked will be cast out. Every liar, every fornicator, everyone that does wrong, Revelation 21.8, will be cast into the lake of fire because in my kingdom I'm cleaning house and only the sheep will get to be with me. I want to know, have you been translated yet out of the kingdom of darkness and got on the cabinet with Christ the King? He is going to reign when you pray. Pray, Lord Jesus, come. Come on, King, reign. Rain. We're tired of ISIS. We're tired of Christians being decapitated. We're tired of drug dealers making money. We're tired of the sex traffic. We're tired of our girls being turned into prostitutes. Someday, Jesus, rain. Rain on this earth. Rain on this earth. He will reign. So I pray, your kingdom come. I mean visible display from Mount Zion, not the third heaven. You've been up there a long time. You said in uh, Psalms 2, it's from terra firma called Mount Zion, Jerusalem. Right where the dome of the rock is, he'll reign. The same mount that they crucified him on. He will reign. I'm on the cabinet of the king. Call me what you want in this world. Someday we will say, we won, and our king will judge. Then he says, if the king is going to rule, why don't you pray, thy will be done on earth 
as it's being done in heaven. We're all going to vote Tuesday. Do you think your will is going to be done? Have any of you ever lost a vote? I, I cast ballots presidentially. I, it just, because I can tell you I voted. That makes me a good citizen. I don't think I've changed anything with the ballot. But keep on, vote. It's really tough when you don't believe in either one. But thy will be done. Why don't you vote when you're alone with God on, am I doing your will? I want to do your will. Maybe you've asked me to drink a cup I don't want to drink, but I'll say, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe you're dating somebody. Let's go back to young people. You're dating or some unsaved boy's trying to go out with you, young lady. Some un Can you say, I'm going to do the will of God. You're good looking. I'd be really popular if I was with you. But I'd rather be in favor with God than in favor with you. The will of God is what I'm living for. The will of God. Does it matter? Can God ever tell you no on anything and you do it? I mean, if God told you no, don't do it in his word, would you do it? Do you ever submit to God? You have to ask that. I don't want to make you guilty by the question, but ask it. Do you? Can you say, as you end the day, I did the will of God today as I understood it. In the morning, I'm going to begin, God, I just want to do your will today. Whatever you want, help me to want. Whatever you say no to, I'm going to say no to. <laughs> Whatever you say yes to, and so that you see the first part of your whole prayer time is, I'm concerned with my relationship with God. I want to be one who treats you like what you deserve. I want to be one who longs for your coming, longs for you to reign in my life in the meantime, and I want your will to be done no matter what it is in my life. Uh, you know, I want your will to be done. I often ask people, what are you doing with God's money in your wallet? Wait, well, hey, buddy, I earned this. What do you mean, where do you get God in my wallet? I thought every good thing we got came from God. I thought people of God acknowledged God's ownership of them. Is there anything you own independent of God? Oh, oh, what about those lungs? Are you sure the cancer cell can't give you cancer? God's got your funeral already arranged. You're using his air. Uh, who gave you that wife, that husband that's been good to you? For, but boy, the cockiness of man. One man told us, well, I earned it. Oh, you ungrateful beast. You ungrateful beast. You mean, God, you don't mess with what is in. Once it gets in there, you're out of the picture. So if I want to be stingy, it's none of your business. If I don't want to serve, well, what about service? Oh, get off. That's just a church gimmick. You just want to get us guilty. No, no, no. We're just wondering why some of you saved bodies aren't being used to show he's holy. Just, just to use your body to... Show him off. 
First Peter says, you're a chosen people, a royal generation, that you may show forth the excellencies of our God. How is God using your body? Is there anything? He said, if you go to lunch today, whether you eat or drink, you ought to do it so God gets glory. So don't tell off the waitress. And don't refuse to tip, but leave a card telling her what church you go to. <laughs> don't be stingy in the name of Jesus. If you're going to be stingy, leave no ID. <laughs> go out the back door, you tight what? You don't need to be going to lunch if you can't tip. When I'm in South Carolina, a waitress makes $2 an hour. So if you don't tip, they don't get anything. It's a shame to ever be a Christian, to ever be seen as stingy. Are you a stingy Christian with what God's given you? Are you stingy with your body, stingy with your time? Well, I, I, man, if you really had a prayer life, that takes time. Well, you know, how about setting through seven World Series games? And I watched it because I was sick. I got sick, so I could see them. <laughs> so don't get guilty. You saw them. It was great. But you know, we're so stingy with us when it comes to him. Oh, it all gets different. You, you, you're Mr. God. You're the God of your life. I'm not. Nebuchadnezzar, I can take your kingdom from you. And if you did our 714 this morning, what was our passage? Jeremiah 9. Don't let the rich man boast in his wealth, nor the wise man in his wisdom, or the strong man in his strength. But let him who boasts boast in this, that I am his God, that he knows me. Is that your boast? That ought to be your boast. Well, we want to pray for those who uh, felt like other sinners could understand their sorrows. Next week, we'll pick up the three areas he wants us to pray about ourselves. But uh, uh, get God back into prayer. Get God. That's first thing. That's what Jesus said. Just put my Father in there. Put his kingdom in there. Put his will in there. Deal with that first and foremost. This is my pattern for you. And then you can get to your needs. Then you can get to uh, forgiveness. Then you can get for the temptations and the struggles. He, and God willing, you can deal with all these issues. But remember, prayer is not how long, how loud. It's what issues do you deal with. It's issue-oriented, issue-oriented. And so we must deal with those issues. And so I'm going to pray. Then we're going to have choir. We're going to invite. We put our intercession time here after the message. And uh, we'll have our prayer counselors and those uh, we want to say, when we pray like this, you can pray right where you are. Some people come burdened, and uh, they believe in prayer. You know one reason we started doing this? Uh, I never forget, Moise Rosen told me one time, he says, you know what's wrong with your church? There's no touch in it. He was always straightforward, you know, when he was head of Jews for Jesus. He said, there's no touch in it. I thought, I don't know what he's talking about. He said, well, didn't you grow up? Well, you grew up, you were into touch, laying hands. Do, do. He said, it, yours is becoming a pretty sterile church. I see. He said, it's so natural in your tradition to identify people and pray with them. Why don't you practice it? I said, well, conservatives aren't touchy. 
They don't like. They want to get in and get out and eat lunch by 12.30. (laughs) And then my daughter, Larry, went to her, here, Carol Symbol at Brooklyn Tab, and the prayer meetings, four services a day, two and a half hours a meeting, and the 10,000 people, they pray. They touch people. They identify. So we thought, maybe we could pray for people, identify with them, that we don't want to just preach to you, we just don't want to collect your offerings. We like to identify with you in your struggles and pray. That's how we do it. And we got to start giving more so they could keep the air conditioning on because we were cooking. <laughs> Open the doors. And so all you counselors come, and we'll have the singers come. We're going to sing. If you've got a need today, if you've got something you're bearing, and you feel like you can use some extra prayer, We've got prayer counselors that will come to stand in the front. And as they sing, you come if you want us to pray with you. If not, would you pray for us? Uh, I'll tell you, if no one comes, would you come up and pray for me? I'll take all the prayer you will. I wish I had 100 people that prayed for me. I would love it. I'd be a better preacher if I can get you to pray for me. Oh, you'd get a better preacher. But if you don't pray for me, I'm going to bore the daylights out of you, and I'm going to get worse.